we were traveling from Fort Lauderdale back to <clears throat> Jamaica, Montego Bay. It was the whole family, about nine of us. And we had about 20, I don't know, 25, 26 suitcases among us, right? And we had an early morning flight. So we got up, we put all our suitcases, you know, we had packed it from the night before. We put all our suitcases in the, the two cars or two, two vehicles we had and we rushed to the airport. You know, we had to, we dropped off the suitcases with seven Seven of them and two of us took the two cars back and they were checking in. You know the usual check-in procedure. Some of the suitcases were overweight, you know. So having so many suitcases, they, you know, we had to be taking stuff from one to the other. And, you know, eventually they took all the suitcases and we, we checked in okay. We waited for, you know, maybe two hours until our flight was ready. We boarded the flight the flight attendants were courteous. Everything seemed to go well. You know, we landed in Jamaica. We cleared immigration. We got our bags. We had to go through customs, and that was another ordeal. You know, we were there for like an hour. You know, because when they saw so many of us and so many suitcases, we were going through the no, nothing to declare line. And they said, no, 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 no. You guys go on that side, right? So we had to wait about an hour, but they didn't charge us anything, you know. They said, okay, everything is all right. We got them okay. But one, the important thing I want to say about that was we never saw, when we checked in, we never saw the people who put the bags on the plane. When we landed in Jamaica, we never saw the people who took the bags off the plane, put them on the carousel so we could get them, right? And even more importantly, we never saw the pilot, when we went on the plane, we never saw the pilot. We saw the flight attendant. And I've flown on many planes. In the Bahamas, we fly from island to island. And there's no, there's no flight attendant on most of the planes, the smaller planes, like up to 19 seats. There's no flight attendant. And we see the pilot all the time. Now, I believe that myself or Morgan, we could fill in for the flight attendant. We know what they do. We know the words that they speak and everything that they do. But none of us could fill in for the pilot. We never saw when the pilot started the engines. We never saw when the pilot took the plane down the, the runway. But we know the pilot was there. And that's how God is. Sometimes we don't see God at work. But believe me, God is at work. God is always working, doing a very important job. God is always up to something good. You might not see him, but you have to believe. I believe that God does more for us than what we don't see than what we see. God does more for us than what we don't see than what we see. God is good. Amen? Psalms 34, this is just the introduction, okay? Psalms 34 and verse 7 tells us, The angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him and delivers them. Yesterday a friend of mine was telling me, he has a, another friend who is a contractor, and he travels with a bodyguard everywhere he goes. 
I mean, I don't know him to be no big contractor, you know, but he travels with a bodyguard. Yeah? The angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him. You see that word fear? Don't believe that the angel is going to encamp around you if you don't fear him. Okay? It's important to fear the Lord. Very important. Now, we should be jumping for joy. You know what? You know why? What? You know the power of one angel? You know the power of one angel in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse... Sorry, 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. It tells us about the battle between Judah and the Assyrians when Sennacherib the king made all kind of derogatory remarks and said defiling things about God that God could not deliver them and God used one angel one angel to kill 185,000 soldiers in one night one angel did that so you can imagine one angel that's around you one angel that surrounds you what that angel can do one angel not even two one angel Amen. Praise God. This morning we're going to be looking at the book of Esther. The book of Esther. That God is always at work. Believe me, the worship was awesome this morning. I was standing there and the amount of time tears came into my eyes. For the, about the goodness of God. What God has been doing you know, the little things that God does, sometimes we take them for granted. But God is always at work. Who knows the story of Esther? Wow. I mean, <clears throat> I know some people who know the story, but sometimes you don't remember all the details. But the story of Esther is a fascinating story. It's a story of intrigue. It's a story of love. A story of suspense. A story of murder. A story of deliverance and a story with a happy ending. That sounds like a movie, right? With a happy ending. You know, movies always will tend to end, you know, in a happy way. Esther was used by God to deliver the people of God from the threat of annihilation. The devil wanted to destroy all of God's people at the time. Now, stand up and let's have our declaration. Declaration of the word. <clears throat> this is God's word, not Brother David's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. I will have what it says I can have. Today I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. 
and verse 14. And then we'll be reading chapter 8 and verse 17. Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. And then Esther 8 and verse 17. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Chapter 8 and verse 17. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. Your words that are words of life. Your words that are words of power. Your words that pierce. Your words that search our hearts. Father, I pray that you would touch each heart this morning. That your name will be glorified. Your name will be exalted. We pray for deliverance. We pray for healing. Father, we pray that your name will be exalted in this place. Father, we pray for your intervention. Father, let your presence be felt as we glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The story of Esther is a very interesting one. It's set in the Persian Empire. There was a group of people, the people of God who were there in the Persian Empire at the time, were the ones who were taken into captivity when Nebuchadnezzar had attacked and destroyed Judah and Jerusalem. These were the people that didn't decide to go back to Jerusalem when Cyrus gave the decree that they could go back and rebuild the temple. For one reason or another, these were the people that decided to stay back in Persia. Amen? You understand that? They could have gone back to Jerusalem when Cyrus gave the decree, but they decided to stay where they were. Right? They were comfortable there. The king at the time was king... Well, the new King James Version says Ahasuerus. But I won't say Ahasuerus because his other name was King Xerxes. I'll say Xerxes because that's easier for me to say and keep repeating. Right? So remember the name Xerxes. King Xerxes. He was, it was the third year of his reign. And he had several banquets. The first banquet he had was like a conference with all his generals, all his officials. And it's not in the Bible, but the history books tell you this was, he was planning a military campaign against the Greeks. He was basically planning how he could expand his empire. His empire was very large, 127 provinces from Ethiopia to India. 127 provinces. He was a very wealthy king. A very opulent king. He was showing off his splendor and his might to all his generals. You know what that reminds me of? You ever watch the news and you see mainly with the 
northern European countries like and Russia and North Korea, where they display their armament. They have the tanks parading, they have the soldiers marching, and they're showing off their military might. Now, this king was showing off his military might. He had a six-month conference, not a one-week G7 summit, a six-month, 180 days, he was planning and showing off his power. At the end of this conference, he had a banquet. Right? He had a banquet with all the citizens of Citadel, right? That's the capital of Susa or the Persian Empire. And this was no ordinary banquet because the Bible says that every person was able to drink from a golden cup. This ain't no rented cup when you have a function and you rent the plates and the cups. Everyone was able to drink from a golden cup and they said that every cup was different from the other. And the people were able to drink as much wine as they wanted for seven days. Can you imagine? For, they could drink as much as... And you know, well, you know Jamaicans, if you go to a party and you can drink free liquor, right? What they're going to do? For seven days, on the seventh day, they said that the king was in high spirits, which I, I believe he was drunk, right? And he called for his wife. His wife, Queen Vashti, he called for her. And she refused. He called for her to parade her or to show off her beauty. The Bible says she was beautiful, right? To show off her beauty, and she refused to come. Now, can you imagine how embarrassed the king must have been? You know why? You imagine he was a couple days before showing off how powerful he was with all his generals, right? With all his military leaders, and now he calls for his wife, and she says no. I mean, I would be embarrassed. Wouldn't you, you'd be embarrassed, Pastor. You called for your wife and she said, no, she's not coming. In front of all the generals. So they had to make a decree and a new law. He called for his advisors and they say, well, you've got to put away this woman. Not, not kill her, but she won't be coming in front of you anymore. <clears throat> and at the same time, they made a new law and a decree that the king would find a new wife through a beauty contest. Now, I want you to realize this beauty contest was no ordinary contest as well. It's only in the, you know, I've been studying this for a month, right? Because I know the story in my head, everything, right? And it's only a couple of days ago I realized the beauty contest lasted about four years. In the first chapter, it tells me that in the third year of his reign, right? He had this banquet. In chapter 2, right? It tells us that it was in the seventh year. So Esther, chapter 2, verse 16. So Esther was taken to King Xerxes into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. This was no ordinary beauty pageant. Right? This was like a pageant on a world scale. The reason I say that is there was 127 provinces 
And the king appointed administrator in each province to find the most beautiful girl in each province that would enter the competition. This was no Miss St. Anne or Miss St. Mary or Miss Trelawney competition. This was a competition on a world scale, right? It was a serious competition. So all the ladies were brought to the palace who were selected from each of the provinces to enter the competition. Now here comes Esther. Here comes Esther, right? Esther, so we, we've seen Xerxes, the king. We've seen Vashti, the queen, existing queen. And now we've, now we've seen Esther. These are, the, <clears throat> these are the people in the story. Esther was an orphan girl. Did you know that? Esther was an orphan girl. And that's important. Her parents had died in the captivity. And so Mordecai, you know, I always thought that Mordecai was her uncle. He was actually her cousin. Mordecai looked after Esther. And you know, this teaches me so much. There's two points I want to make. You know, I don't have any notes this morning. But I want you to write down the things that touch you and speak to you. This is how God works. God will take the orphan person. God will take the lowest person. The person that we regard as nobody. The person that is marginalized. And those are the people that God will use as long as you are dedicated and set apart to be used by God. We always think that God's going to use the rich person and the bright person and the person who has everything and the person who dresses well. But God uses the humble to do his work. And I know Esther was humble. You know, I know she was humble because when she was going to enter the king's presence, she could take anything she wanted to take and she didn't take, she didn't take anything with her. She went in just as she was because she relied on the strength and the power and the confidence she had in God Almighty. Amen? We're going to get to Mordecai in a minute. But Esther found favor with the king, in the eyes of the king, and Esther found favor in the eyes of the administrators and everyone who dealt with her. She found favor in their eyes. You know what favor is? (laughs) Favor is is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I remember when I just went away to work. It's sometimes you only discover these things afterwards. The favor that God shows you. Four people came to the ministry to work, the ministry of works in the Bahamas with myself. There was two of us from Jamaica one from Trinidad and one from the UK. And, and the HR manager showed me so much favor. It's only afterwards I realized, because everything that she did for me, I thought she was doing for the others, and she didn't. Yeah? She, when we, when we, she came to the airport to meet us, and she didn't do that for the others. When we were to find the house to live in, she took us personally. She took me to the bank personally. She took me to the NIS office personally. She took me to the driver's license place personally. And I'm like wondering, what's this woman up to? You know? But she showed us so much favor. I remember the car that I got was not so... Well, it was okay. 
but it wasn't, it wasn't the best. And I remember one of the other guys, he came a couple days after me, and they had assigned another car to him, and she said, you know what, no, no, no. Take that car and give to Mr. Cox, and give the car to Mr. Cox as to the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't tell her to do that. She did it, right? <laughs> but she showed us so much favor, the favor of God. You know when the favor of God is on your life. And Esther had the favor of God in her life because Haggai, who was in charge of this competition, gave, she found favor in his eyes. He was in charge of the whole beauty pageant. And he gave her the best servants. And he gave her the best accommodation. Right? Because she found favor in his eyes. We know the story how she won the competition. Now, Haggai was a eunuch, right? Now, a eunuch is a person who has a special operation to prevent them from having sexual desires, right? Now, in those days, the kings would always have eunuchs around them because the eunuchs would not be interested in the king's wife or any of the women in the, in the palace because they wouldn't have any desire for a woman, right? They, they wouldn't have a family. They, don't, they didn't ever usually have any families, Right? So they would be totally dedicated to the king's work and the king's service. Now you can imagine Haggai, if he wasn't a eunuch, dealing with all these beautiful women, what the temptation would be for him. But she found favor in his eyes. And Esther won the competition and she became queen. Now let's go on to Mordecai. Mordecai was Esther's cousin. He was the one that looked after her. The Bible says that he treated her. It says in verse 7 of chapter 2, and Mordecai had brought up Hadassah. Hadassah was her Hebrew name, right? And Esther was her Persian name, which means star. His uncles, he brought up Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. You know, I feel compelled to say that a lot of us might look after some relative. You might look after a niece. You might look after a nephew. You might look after a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, some cousin. You know, I believe this is for somebody this morning. Treat them like your own. Treat them like your own, like your own daughter, like your own son. That's what the Bible says. He treated her as his own daughter. And you know why? You never know what that person might turn out to be. That person could be the next prime minister. That person could be the next governor general or MP or somebody of great significance and importance. Treat them as your own. You know, and I apply that to myself as well. Because even sometimes, some of us with, you know, your own relatives, you don't treat them the same way you treat your own daughter, or the same way you treat your own son. But treat them as your own. Mordecai worked in the king's, at the king's gates. Right? He didn't work inside the palace. He worked at the gates. That's what the Bible says. Now, I... I thought to myself, well, what was he doing at the gates? And I'm thinking maybe he was a security guard. I don't know. Maybe he was checking the temperature or giving out the sanitizer. I don't know. But he was working at the gates, right? He was working at the gates. Now, whatever he was doing, 
was important. Right? And the Bible says he discovered a plot that they had, that two guys had to kill the king. And he told Esther. And Esther told the king. And they investigated and they found out. Right? And the people who was plotting against the king were, were assassinated. And the Bible says that this was recorded in the book of the annals. Now it's important to realize they recorded it, right? But nothing was done for Mordecai at this time. It says that they just recorded it. And now later we'll see how that's so important that nothing was done. Sometimes when we do things, we want to be rewarded same time. We want to be rewarded at the same time, but he wasn't rewarded then. And it turned out to be so much better for him that he wasn't rewarded then. Now I didn't hear him complaining about well, where's my reward, you know? Okay, so Xerxes, Vashti, Esther, Mordecai. Now we get to Haman. Haman was the villain, the bad guy. Haman was, um, the Bible says in, in chapter 3 of Esther, after these things, King Xerxes promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite and advanced him and set him set his seat above all the princes who were with him. Verse two and of chapter three and all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Mordecai decided he wasn't going to bow. That reminds me of Daniel, right? That reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood up for what they believe. How we need people like that today who will stand up for what they believe. You know, you might say to yourself, so what's the big deal? You know, give him a little bow, right? But it was a little more than that. It was more like worshiping, right? It was more like worshiping. And he decided that the only person to be worshipped is God. The only person we must worship is God. You know, we mustn't bow to pressure. We must stand up for what we believe. And do what is right. And Mordecai decided he was not going to bow. And so what do you think happened? He suffered for it. Right? Because Haman was a man that was full of pride. And he decided that I'm going to do something about this guy. This guy I'm bowing, I'm going to show him who is in charge. I'm going to show him that I'm in charge and he's got to bow to me or I'm going to finish him. What they say in Jamaica, I've got done him, right? I've got done him, right? So, he, Haman went to the king and they made a decree that all the Jews, not just Haman, because Haman hated the Jews, he was an Agagite. Now, in the Bible, if you want to know where the Agagites are mentioned again, when, when Samuel had told Saul to go and kill all the Amalekites, right? And Saul spared the king, the king was an Agagite, right? And Samuel was upset. He took Saul's sword and he chopped. He chopped him to pieces. And they say from that day, the Agagites hated the Jews. Right? So, 
they made a decree. They cast lots, which is called per, which is the, from what we get the word Purim, which is now even today the Jews celebrate the feast of Purim, right? Because of the salvation they had from this event. And the lot fell on the 13th day of Adar when all the Jews would be annihilated. When Mordecai realized this, he wept and he cried and he put on sackcloth and he went before, he was approaching the king's gates and Esther heard about it and she sent clothes because you should not approach the king's gates in sackcloth. That was a no-no. If you went to the king's gate in sackcloth, you would be killed. So Esther quickly sent some clothes out for him that he would put on. And he said to her, do you not hear the news that all the Jews are going to be killed on a particular day? And this is how we come to chapter 4 of verse 14. Where it says, for if you remain... Okay, sorry, verse 13. But then Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai pleaded with her that she needed to go to the king and make a request on behalf of the people. And Esther said, well, you know I haven't seen the king for 30 days. Because she couldn't just go and see the king whenever she wanted, you know. The king had to give her permission to come. The king had to call for her. So anybody who wanted to go and see the king, there was an inner court where the king would sit on his throne. Then there was an outer court where they would stand up. And when the king saw you, he would give you his golden scepter, he would raise it to you, and if he gave you that, you had permission to come in. Amen? And that was a protocol for his protection. Because in those days, even his own sister, or his own brother, or his own wife, or his confidants would come in and they would stab him or kill him or poison him. So he had to make sure that whoever was coming in, he was happy with them coming in. Now Esther told Mordecai that they must fast and pray. Now where did she get that from? She was the one that said, tell all the people to fast and pray for three days. And after this, I will go in and see the king. Where did Esther get that from? From Mordecai. Mordecai was the one who brought her up. You know, we've got to teach our children or teach those that we bring up, those who are in our household, the ways of God. And, the, and how to trust God and how to serve God. And that shows me that Mordecai brought her up in the right way. The other thing was that, you know that even though she was a queen, she still obeyed Mordecai. She still listened to him. She still respected him. She never said, well, well I'm your queen now and I'm not to listen to you anymore. She still listened to him. God is good. Amen? She still listened to him. So Queen Esther, at the end of the fast, she went in and she got acceptance from the king. Right? She got acceptance from the king. 
Esther is like a Christ. Esther portrays what Christ did for us. Amen. Esther risked her life. She gave up her life. She made up her mind that she was going to give up her life for the people. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Esther is like Christ. Esther is like Christ because she acted as an advocate. She went into the king and pleaded on behalf of the people. And Jesus Christ is our advocate. That's the importance of this book of Esther. Esther risked her life, even though she didn't die. Just like Daniel. When he decided he wasn't going to bow, and he decided whether he would die or not, he was not going to bow, and he, he gave up his life for what he believed and his principles in God. Now it's interesting that when she went into the king, the king said to her, Esther, what is it that you want? Up to half the kingdom I will give you. Now that half the kingdom, doesn't, to me, doesn't necessarily mean he's actually going to give her half the kingdom. You know, if your son comes to you and he's in trouble or he makes a request, you're going to say, son, daughter, anything you want, I will do. Doesn't mean, I'll give you the world. But it doesn't mean you're going to give them the world. Yeah? But you will do anything. So I believe that's what he meant. He would do anything that she wanted that was in his power. Esther said, let's have a banquet tomorrow and invite Haman. So they invited Haman. It's interesting. We, you know, reading this story, you think it was just one banquet that she had. She invited Haman to come to the banquet with the king. Haman went to the banquet with the king and her, just the three of them. And the king said, Esther, what is it that you want? Up to half the kingdom I will give you. And Esther said, I'm inviting you to another banquet tomorrow. Now, why didn't Esther make a request at that particular time? You know why Esther didn't make a request? The timing of God. The timing of, you know, not because I want something and I know pastor can help me and I come to pastor, I'm going to say, pastor, if I don't believe, if I believe God is saying this isn't the right time if pastor is in a bad mood and I'm, I'm not going to ask him at that time yeah I wait for another time when I believe it's the right time not every time you go to somebody or you want to do something and you see the person you must jump at them and ask them if somebody if somebody offends me and I see that if they offend me right now, I'm not necessarily going to say something to, something to them right away. Sometimes it's not the right, I don't feel it's the right time to say something about it. I'll probably give it a day or two, and I'll wait till I believe God is saying, now is the time to say, or now is the time to ask. And God has his perfect timing. And we've got to live in the spirit and rely on God to tell us when is the timing to ask and to do certain things. Listen, I've been wanting to come back to Jamaica <laughs> for a couple of years now. But, I, you know, I never get the sense that it was the right timing. Yeah? God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Even when we think that God is off, his timing is perfect. Let us learn to wait on the Lord and be directed by his spirit. God's timing is perfect. And Esther didn't ask the make a request known at that time she said let's have another banquet tomorrow and who knows maybe if things weren't right she would have said let's have another banquet the following day right 
But that same day when, when Haman left, he saw Mordecai and he was so upset. When he went home, he said to his wife, I can't stand this man Mordecai no more, you know. And you know what his wife told him to do? Let's, why don't you have a gallows built to hang this man on? That's what the man's wife tell him. Now, I'm saying wives, be careful what you tell your husbands. Because husbands, we, we are obedient. We like to listen to our wives, right? Because we want to please them. Right, Pastor? You want to please your wife, right? <laughs> we want to please our wives. It's true. We try our best to please our wives. And sometimes your wives might tell you to do something. Yeah? So, he had the gallows built. Now, that same night that Haman built the gallows, it's the same night that the king could not sleep. The king couldn't sleep and the king called for the diaries to be read to him. And when he read the diary or the annals, he realized that Mordecai right, had saved his life and he was never honored. So he said, no man, I've got to honor this, morning, honor this man first thing in the morning. He's going to honor this man. You see how the timing of God, if, he, if, if Mordecai was rewarded the time when he had reported the incident, he would not have been able to be rewarded now, which was more important, the right timing of God. God works in his own timing. God is always at work. Sometimes when we don't see it or feel it, God is at work. The following morning, Haman was the first person to go into the king's palace. He was planning to have Mordecai executed. The same time he was planning to have Mordecai killed was the same time God was planning to honor Mordecai. You see how God works? The same time when the devil is trying to kill you or defeat you is the same time God wants to bless you and to honor you. So, before Haman could say anything, the king said to Haman, what must be done to the man that the king wants to honor? Haman thought that was going to be him. Haman thought that was going to be him who was going to be honored. So he said, okay, yeah, man. Dress the man in the king's clothes. Put him on the king's horse. Parade him in the streets and say, this is what the king desires to do to the man he wants to honor. Can you imagine how Haman felt? He said, do this to Mordecai. He must have felt like he wanted the ground to open and take him in. So he had to take Mordecai on the king's horse and parade him in the streets and say, this is what the king desires to do when he wants to honor someone. And as soon as he finished, he ran home. <laughs> he ran home. And you know what his wife tell him? It don't look good. <laughs> That's what it, the Bible says. His wife says, things don't look good. I'm paraphrasing. Things don't look good for you. Things don't look good anymore. And before he could even come up with a plan of action, because he was a man of, of planning, the queen sent for him for the other banquet. When he went into the, to the, back to the banquet and the king said, Esther, what is it that you want? What must be done? She said, O king, because she had never declared that she was a Jew you know, until this time. She said, there's a plot to kill all the Jews, my people. And she said, if it was a matter of slavery, I wouldn't do anything. I would have allowed it to happen. But this is a matter of murder. All the Jews would be killed. And the king said, who is this person that's made this plot? And she said, this is the wicked man Haman. And the king immediately went to his balcony 
maybe to think about what he was going to do to Haman. And when he came back in, Haman was at the feet of Esther. The Bible says he leaned over her couch and he was groveling at her feet. And it looked like he was harassing her. So the king said, you're even going to harass my wife in the palace? And the king said, take him out and hang him. And the very gallows that he built was the one that they used to hang him on. That's how God works. That's how God works. Now the law was still there. The decree was still there for all the Jews to be annihilated. So Mordecai and Esther went before the king and they had to make another law that on that same day the Jews could take up arms and defend themselves. And that's how we see in verse 8, sorry, chapter 8 and verse 17, and it says, And in every province and city wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because they feared, because fear of the Jews fell upon them. When the, the second decree was made, many of the Persians became Jews because they realized that was going to happen. And on the day when the annihilation was supposed to take place, the Jews stood up and defended themselves and they had the victory. And that's how we get the Feast of Purim. This is a holiday that is still celebrated today. The Jews celebrate it and they celebrate it with, with songs and giving of presents. But what is the point? And the pastor has been doing this series, what is the point? What is the point of Esther? I just want to leave with you three points or three lessons from Esther. God is always at work. Number one, write it down if you're taking notes. God is always at work. God is always at work in our lives, in the lives of kings and kingdoms. You know, in Daniel 4 and verse 17, it says, The most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. You know, even during this pandemic and we see so many things happening, you might not realize God is at work. God is building a kingdom. God was at work in the life of Esther. You realize that if Queen Vashti hadn't lost her position, then Esther could not have become queen. Was it last week or or a week before, pastor said, sometimes we're praying for something, we're praying for a job and we don't realize that God has to move somebody out of position for you to get into position. You realize that? God has to move somebody out of position, not in all cases, but in, so that you can get into position. Sometimes when you're praying, you don't realize what you're praying for. God is always at work. You know, if Mordecai had not discovered that plot and reported it, then he would not have been in a position to be rewarded. If the king didn't have insomnia that night and read the book or the annals, and realize that Mordecai needed to be rewarded, then the story would have had a different ending. God is always at work. You know that Esther is only one of two books where the name of God is not mentioned. Read the book. It doesn't say Jehovah. It doesn't say God. It doesn't say Yahweh. There's no mention of God in the book of Esther. No man, but God is at work. God was at work and God is at work today and God will be at work. Amen? God is always at work. 
You know, a couple nights ago, about three, two nights or three nights ago, I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's very unusual for me, right? I don't normally get up in the night at all, you know? And I got up, I went to the bathroom, and I could hear a pipe, like water was spraying. I looked out the window, I couldn't see, so I, the first place I would normally go is on the roof. So I got up, went outside, I go on the roof, and because usually it's a tank, the water tank usually overflows, yeah? I looked across the, my neighbor's house, and I could see a pipe was burst in his yard, and it was spraying water. So I went back inside, and I said to my wife, the pipe's burst. I'm going to go out and lock off the guy, you know, my neighbor's you know, valve, or lock off. She said, you sure? I said, yes. I said, that's the right thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> she said, you sure? You know, because I'd have to go out to the gate and through the gate to lock it off, you know? So I got up, and I locked it off, and the following morning, I told him that his, you know, I saw his pipe was burst, and I turned off the water, because... Trust me, I have a burst pipe and I get a bill for 50000 and 60000 because the water just pure away, you know. So that's what I did. But God woke me up. I don't know if it was for that, but that was part of it, yeah? You know, so God is always at work. The second point I want to make quickly is God preserves his people. God preserves his people from creation until now. God has preserved his people. God will, God preserved Israel and God preserves the church. Amen. There will always be a church. Amen. God preserves his people. God preserved Israel when they were in the wilderness. God preserved them when they were in Egypt. He, he made Moses go and deliver them and take them out. God preserved them through the wilderness. God preserved them during the, during the kingdom years. God preserved them when Nebuchadnezzar came and took them into captivity. Even though they were in punishment, God was with them. The Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will preserve his people. Now, it doesn't mean that some of us won't die. But God will preserve the church. God will preserve his people. Amen? God preserved his people. God preserved you. Moses, yeah, when he was a little baby, and his mother put him in the basket, in the bulrushes, and, and he was preserved. Amen? God preserved his people during the time of Esther when they were trying to annihilate all the people. The devil, you see, the devil wants to destroy us. The Bible tells us, the thief, the devil, comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the aim. But God is there to preserve and to protect us. During the time of Herod in the New Testament, he wanted to kill all the baby boys, all the, all the babies that were born during a particular time, and he did that. But guess what? God preserved Jesus. God protected and preserved Jesus. God preserves his people. And finally... God uses individuals. This is where the rubber meets the road. God uses individuals. God used Esther. Amen. God used Daniel. You know, the story of Naaman, the Assyrian captain, during the time of Elisha, and he had a servant girl who was living at his house. A near man had leprosy. The Bible never even mentioned her name. right? But God used her to tell 
mere man that he could be healed. God used Joseph. Joseph came from the prison to the palace and God used him. God used Nehemiah. Right? A lot of people will say that politics and Christianity don't work or don't mix. You know, but I believe that God wants people in authority. Yeah? God wants Christians to be in high positions. Now, who makes all the laws in a land? It's the leaders. Yeah? You know, when the Bible talks in Proverbs 31 about the the virtuous woman, it says, a husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. You know, that indicates that he's a leader, right? So he would have some influence. Now, if you're saying that Christians mustn't be involved in politics and leadership, I totally disagree with you. Because if there's no Christians in politics, then who is going to be there to direct and have influence so that the laws are made in the right way to support the work and the, and the will of God. God is always at work. God uses individuals. God used Joseph. Amen? And God wants to use you. This is a serious point now. God wants to use you. It doesn't matter where you are. God wants to use you. You could be a bank teller. You could be a bank manager. You could be a clerk. You could be a housewife. You could be you know, um, a laborer. You could be a carpenter. You could be a business owner. God wants to use you. You could be a teacher. God wants to use you wherever you are. You are there for such a time as this. You might be there for years and you don't know what God wants you to do. Maybe it's just one thing, just to speak to one person. But God wants to use you. You have to make yourself available to God so that God can use you. You've got to understand this. You are not there for fun. You're not there because it's an accident. There's no coincidence in the kingdom of God. Everything is ordered by God. Everything is orchestrated by God. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You are not there for a show. You're not there because you look good. God has you there for a purpose and God wants to use you. I dare you to be a Daniel. I dare you to be a Esther. I dare you to be a Nehemiah. I dare you to stand up for what is right and do what God requires. God is always at work. God is building a kingdom. You know, it's not about your fancy car. It's not about your nice house. It's not about your job. It's not about the clothes you wear, the kind of phone you have, the kind of shoes you wear. It's not about any of that. It's about God. God is the center, must be the center of our lives. Every day I try to get to grips with that. It's about God. I know we go to work and we want a better life. Each of us, we try to make our lives more comfortable. (laughs) And you know, it's about the work of God. Right? The will of God, doing his will. And we have to find to find out what God is doing and to join God in his work. 
It's not about, oh, I am doing this and God fits in somewhere. No, we need to fit into the plan of God. We need to set ourselves apart for the service of God. I dare you to realize that you are here for a purpose and that God wants to use you to his honor and to his glory. Let us stand to our feet. Amen. God is good. God wants to use you. God wants to work. If you make yourself available as a vessel of honor, the Bible says that we must make ourselves available as vessels of honor for his use, for his honor and for his glory. This morning we need to realize that God is in charge. God is always at work. You're not the one in charge. God is in charge. And God wants to use you. If you make yourself available to him, it's not about the amount of money you have. It's not about how you look, the kind of clothes you wear. God wants to use you to accomplish his will and to accomplish his purposes. Even during this time of this pandemic time, this, <laughs> we need to take the time to seek the face of God even during this time of fasting to say Lord what it is that you want me to do where do you want me to fit in what is it Lord what is your will for my life at this time God wants to use us to his honor and to his glory and every day I get up I say Lord thank you what is it Lord you want to do today Every day I get up, I realize, Lord, it's not about me. It's not about me having a more comfortable bed. It's not about me trying to have a more comfortable life. You know that this world is not our home we are just passing through. Don't put down your roots like, you know, you have no other. This is not your home. Our home is in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God and God is building his kingdom if you are here this morning you need prayer you need someone you want me to pray for you at this time so that you will refocus your life on the things of God and not on the things of this world Every single day we need to refocus our lives so that we ensure that we are on the right path, that we don't go astray. You know, they put blinkers on, the, on, on, the, on horses so that they don't look to the right, not to the left. They just keep on the straight path that they, where they should go. And we need to keep on the straight path that God has for us and not go to the right, not to the left to be distracted and to find ourselves in all kind of grief and sorrow but focus on the things of God. Wherever you are right now, with all eyes closed, just as a gesture of respect and so that you can concentrate on what God is doing in your life and not the other person's life, your life. Not what God is doing for the next, what God is doing and wants to do for you right now. want me to pray for you just put up your hands as a show of that you want to 
rededicate your life to God, to his service, to his will. Amen. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. God wants to use us. You know, there's pre- there's joy in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. There's so much joy in his presence and in his service. God is so good to us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I sing that song, I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you Away. I give myself away so you can use me here I am here I stand Lord my in your hands Lord I'm longing to see your desires revealed in me I give myself your goodness. Father, we thank you for your kindness towards us. We thank you for your mercies. Lord, we thank you for your love. You are an awesome God. You're a holy God. You're a righteous God. We thank you, Lord. We bless and we praise your name. Father, I pray for each person here right now. 
that Lord you would just speak to each continue to speak to each heart Father I pray you would just touch each heart in a special way Lord I pray that as we leave this place Lord we pray for your blessing Lord we pray that we would be dedicated to your service and to your will Father I pray for your protection over each life Lord we thank you that your angels your angel encamp around us and deliver us we glorify you for what you have done and for what you are doing, we thank you that you are always at work doing something good. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to perceive it, we would be able to see it and understand what you are doing so that we can fall in line with what you are doing. Father, we honor you. We glorify you. We bless your name because you are good all the time. Lord, we love you. We love you and we commit ourselves to you right now in the name of Jesus. Let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Come and put your hands together for the Lord. Hallelujah. Also, listen, we thank. Um, uh, Brother David will be leaving to go back to Bahamas to come back. So we thank God for his obedience in sharing God's word. Amen. You have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen. Remember that God always preserves his people. God wants to use you. Amen. Listen, you have to be in the kingdom to be used by God. So I hope you'll consider like Brother David suggested, surrendering your life to him. Amen. He's a good God and he's always up to something good. Come on, put your hands together for him one more time. Come on, just keep those hands going as the worship team.